You're listening to the Religion and Fiction Podcast. A podcast for people interested in the intersection of the sacred and story. Offering insight, inspiration, and a bit of entertainment for the journey. I'm your host, Jeremy Bauma. A former pastor and theologian who writes stories under J.A. Bauma. Stories that offer entertaining escape as well as insightful inspiration for the journey. Today's episode is week one of the Religion and Fiction Book Club, featuring the very first book that I wrote as sort of a spiritual coming-of-age story, exploring my own spiritual journey and crisis of faith from two decades ago. Stay tuned. Hey, Religion Fiction readers, this is episode 25 of the Religion and Fiction podcast and week one of the Religion and Fiction book club featuring my own novel, A Rediscovered Faith. This book was the very first book I wrote, fiction-wise, I should say, that sort of tracked my own spiritual journey and, more importantly, my crisis of faith that I embarked on, endured emerged into, through, and beyond uh, about 20 years ago as I was a young, 20-something young adult wrestling with a whole ton of questions about faith, life, and everything in between. If you haven't purchased the book yet, you can do so directly from my bookshop at a 50% discount. Otherwise, grab it from most online retailers to join the discussion. Now, the first leg of that crisis of faith as I framed it, as well as this season of sort of faith reimagining began with book one, uh, which was actually the second book I wrote in the series. That one is a reimagined faith, and that began the spiritual journey of the main protagonist of the series, Peter Daniel Young, while he was still in ministry on a university campus in Washington, D.C. You can actually follow along with a very similar book club experience that I launched a year ago at the beginning of the year for very similar reasons as this one that I wanted to get off the ground as we end this year and move into the next year. And that is to give all of us space as we contemplate the gravity of the season, the Christmas season, the God of the universe becoming flesh and blood and moving into our neighborhood in the person of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but this season offers me the perfect opportunity to wrestle with deep questions of faith and to kind of take a step back in my own spiritual life and Christian walk and ask the questions, the hard questions, about what I believe and where I've been, where I'm going, how my walk is, and what my relationship with God looks like. Yeah, I even asked those questions as a former pastor, a seminary-trained author, coming out of this year and moving into the next year. And I wanted to give all of us a very similar experience by engaging the spiritual questions and the spiritual journey of Peter Daniel Young in a rediscovered faith. Now, last week, we kind of had the preamble, the prologue, if you will, to the main book club event beginning today, walking through chapters one through eight. 
that prequel episode offered sort of a behind-the-scenes to this book and also the big series, Faith Reimagined, which is going to end with book three to make a nice spiritual coming-of-age trilogy with a refined faith. That is book three that I have been working on the last several months and getting ready to launch next month through a Kickstarter crowdfunding experience that's going to give you early access to book three, as well as a number of other exclusive goodies, including workbooks to help you engage the story and your own spiritual journey, and some courses and group book club experiences similar to this, but with a sort of higher level of engagement and training course feel to it. So if you'd like to follow that and get all the details as soon as it launches, go to faithreimagined.org forward slash Kickstarter. You can get all those details in the show notes below. In the meantime, enjoy the book club week one for a rediscovered faith, exploring chapters one through eight. Here we go. Before we start, I wanted to read a note to the reader that had originally appeared in the first edition from there and back again. I rejigged it and used it as an author's note at the end of book two, but I wanted to read it now in its original form because I think that it will frame the kind of book club that I hope to have as we walk into the new year. I read the same note at the end of last episode, but I thought that it would begin this one, week one of the book club experience, by setting the stage, if you will, exploring all of the deep questions of faith, life, and everything in between that we have, including me when I wrote the story. All right, here's the author's note that appeared in the first edition of A Rediscovered Faith. The story in the pages that follow is a work of fiction, yet it is more true to life than I could have imagined on my own. This story is loosely based on my own spiritual journey. It follows the major plot points during a season of my life that followed a personal crisis of faith as a Christian 20-something in the first decade of the 21st century. I'd say this story is about 20% truth and 80% fiction, which leads me to say a few words about the kind of fiction that's in this book. First, I didn't really set out to write artistic fiction. I don't say that as a cop-out, though I recognize it is a convenient excuse for this first-time novelist. Yes, there's a good story here, and I've sought to make it as much about the characters and the conflict that's embedded in their journeys as much as I have about the ideas they encounter. But if it's a bit underdeveloped compared to other novels you're used to, you'll know why. Second, you'll notice that I blur the lines a bit between fiction and nonfiction. I've chosen to tell my spiritual journey through a fictional lens to talk about some important ideas regarding faith, life, and everything in between. It could very well have been a nonfiction memoir kind of book, but as you read it, I think you'll understand why I chose to combine fiction and nonfiction in this sort of way. Third, I've made a few assumptions about you, the reader. I'm guessing you are currently or on the verge of experiencing your own crisis of faith. Or maybe it's not a full-fledged crisis, but you're asking questions you haven't asked before, and the creepy-crawly claws of doubt are beginning to prickle the back of your brain. 
Regardless, you're wondering if the Christianity of your childhood or past still connects to your modern world. Maybe you're scared or empowered or thrilled or confused or any number of other emotions because of this crisis and period of questioning. And so you've come looking, not so much for answers, but for direction. Maybe you've read some other books looking for that direction. Books that have inspired and encouraged you to explore and embrace a new kind of Christianity and to be a new kind of Christian. Maybe you're taken by those ideas, or maybe you're skeptical. Either way, you've come to this book to get another perspective in your quest to own your faith, maybe for the first time in your life. Please know that I respect your journey, and I am deeply honored you've invited me along for the ride. And because I understand that journey, I've written a book that's a teaching book. Over the last decade, I've come into, through, and beyond a number of answers to my own crisis of faith. And I feel the lessons I've learned along the way are worthy to be shared. So two years ago, I sat down to write the book. I wish I had and my parents had during my season of questioning and doubt. A book that would help me wade through my questions and confusion. A book that would offer some answers and direction. All so I could more authentically follow the one who died and gave himself up for me and passionately joined his mission of rescue and recreation in my 21st century world. With these three things in mind, I invite you into the faith journey of Peter Daniel Young, a journey you'll discover that's less about him and more about the people he encounters along the way, and the Savior who is big enough to wade alongside us through our sea of questions and carry our boulder-sized doubts upon his shoulders. My hope is that you would learn what Peter begins to learn, that it's only in going backward that we can truly move forward in our spiritual journey. Jeremy Bauma, January 2015. All right, I hope that sets the stage real well as we begin exploring the spiritual questions that Peter had, that I had, that we all have, straight away here at the front end of the story with Peter in a car heading home back to a place that he vowed he would never again return. Sort of acts as a metaphor for where I was when I myself was returning home, having been kicked out of ministry and had this, what I thought was a calling to go to seminary to train to be a pastor. I explored some of that uh, kicking out in the previous book club when I explored the previous book. So I won't rehash all that now, but similarly, I did not expect to head back to Grand Rapids, Michigan, West Michigan, as Peter Daniel Young did. And it acted as sort of this metaphor for framing the entire book when Peter himself began to head back to a spiritual place that he did not expect. Now, this is page one of a 400-page or so book, so there is a whole journey that Peter is going to undertake, and there's a whole lot that's going to happen that he's not expecting at the front end of his story here as he's driving home. And I wonder if you might reflect upon your own sort of spiritual journey at this point in your own life, at the front end of 
this exploration, but also uh, at this juncture in your life. Where are you in your relationship with God, with Jesus in particular? Uh, How about Christianity, the Christian religion, church? Has that been a good experience? Is it a painful one? Are you questioning? Are you doubting? Are you firm and secure? Are are you just sort of uh, looking to this book club uh, and this exploration through the spiritual journey of Peter as this sort of interesting exercise? Or are you yourself wondering if Peter, if this story, this spiritual coming-of-age journey might offer something for your own journey? Now, Peter is, again, at the front end of his own story here in A Rediscovered Faith, and he's on a road, as he frames it, the road to hell in his mind. And he quotes, of course, that aphorism, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And he says, whoever said that should be shot. Uh, you know, because for him, he's wondering, why am I heading home? And what's waiting for me there? Home is an important metaphor for this story. For Peter, it represents a whole lot of the past that he has in his own mind moved beyond after reimagining that past, particularly his uh, spiritual past. Now, I've shared that this is, in many ways, a memoir of my own spiritual journey, put in fictional form. A lot of it's been embellished, uh, but there is sort of this main foundation that reflects a lot of the same impulses and questions and desires and wrestlings that I had as I was moving through my own crisis of faith and trying to discover and rediscover what it meant to follow Christ and to submit my life to God and to be part of the church and the Christian faith. Part of that for me was reconciling the past, where I came from, with where I was in the present and where I thought that I was heading. For me, that past is reflected in Peter's story from the sort of Christian fundamentalism of the 80s, 90s, which is my own sort of social, cultural milieu that I came out of. For me, it was not a super Fundy fundamentalism, if I could put it that way, (laughs) even though I came from a non-denominational Bible church that is part of an organization called Independent Fundamental Churches of America. Mouthful, yes, and probably indicates a whole lot for some listeners and readers, but my church experience was a a good one. There was not that sort of typical fundamentalist legalism that can often mark those kind of more conservative churches. For us, we emphasize the fundamentals of the faith, the necessity of rebirth in Christ, the foundation of Scripture, the divinity of Jesus, and the exclusivity of salvation in Him, and the warning against 
eternal punishment for rejecting Jesus and faith in him. And there's other things wrapped up into that experience of mine, including a sort of very narrow understanding of the end times, which I've talked about elsewhere. But for me, my childhood experience was a good one. I had a good foundation in the Bible and the scriptures. And even when I myself, like Peter, was questioning my faith and wondering how it fit into my modern world, I still held on to many of those fundamentals and appreciated that solid foundation that I received. Peter, not as much. And you kind of have that characterization early on, straight away. It's kind of in your face. He's very angsty and uh, a bit immature and prideful in this spiritual place that he's come to. He, I think, thinks that he's better than the place that he came from, his home, his parents even. That comes to play later in the end of this first block of chapters when he gets into it with his mom visiting his childhood church. We'll get there in just a little bit. But at the front end, I'd like you to consider your own uh, past and your own spiritual roots What are those? Whether it was in a church, not in a church, the denomination, uh, mainline, Protestant or Catholic or non-denominational, conservative, progressive, whatever, churched, not churched. Where have you come from? What are those spiritual familial roots and how have they impacted your own spiritual journey, and even your own current place or milestone on that uh, walk with God or Jesus or religion broadly. So that sort of sets the stage for the rest of the book, Uh, this coming home again. As I mentioned, I think, in the prequel, the original title for this book was From There and Back Again. I retitled the book as I wrote the uh, first book, A Reimagined Faith, and reimagined the series, no pun intended, and then looked to the end with the trilogy, uh, looking to book three, A Refined Faith. And so, anyway, retitled, but that original title, From There and Back Again, gets to that uh, idea of place and roots and home and where we've come from in order to better understand where we are now and where we're going. And for Peter at the front end of his this milestone, this sort of leg in his journey, he is returning back home again to a place he doesn't want to go. And he's going to discover a whole lot of stuff that he was not expecting. Part of that uh, discovery of the unexpected is relationships with his parents, but also with his brothers. This book is his older brother, J.T. James. Uh, The next book, not to give too much away, but book three, which I've just finished up, explores his relationship with his younger brother, J.J. Johnny. But here in chapter two, I'd love to consider our connections with others, particularly the spiritual connections with our parents and our siblings and our other relatives uh, who might have influenced our spiritual journey. 
How did they influence you? How are they influencing you now? I can say that I am super appreciative of my mother and my father for giving me a firm rootedness in the Bible, in the Christian faith, uh, bringing us to church, not as a ritual or an obligation, but as a necessity for our spiritual growth and for sustaining our faith. I credit where I'm at in my own spiritual journey with their care and also their patience. When I was that uh, 20-something Peter Daniel Young, wondering how my faith fit into my life and where I was heading with it. We'll get to some of that as the tension ratchets between Peter and his parents. But right now, I want to just be honest that I am thankful for their spiritual influence on my life. So Peter's in a car, he's driving, he's approaching home, and he's reflecting on where he's at in sort of that moment in his life. And part of that is emerging from a sort of quarter-life crisis where he, as he quotes the book, in he's in this angsty stretch of self-doubt, self-discovery, and self-reimagination, much like a 40-something might experience in the middle of a ho-hum marriage and stalled career just 20 years early. Yeah, that was me 20 years ago uh, when I had my own sort of quarter-life crisis and was headlong into a continuing crisis of faith that I've explored in the previous book. And I wonder about uh, your own life and if you can relate, if you've had that sort of moment of crisis. Maybe you're there now and would love to know uh, how that was for you. Where did that come from? How did it start? What sparked it? And how did it resolve itself, if it has? Now, one of the things that's introduced here at the front end of the book that follows the previous book is a organization or movement called Prosurgent. This reflects a movement I was a part of called Emergent or the Emerging Church. This was, for me, a very helpful movement, organization, community of people who were interested in asking questions about the faith that they had been given uh, growing up. And it was in large ways a progressive response to the conservatism particularly on the other side of the culture wars from the 90s early into the early 2000s. It was uh, a healthy discussion, but also later on, which I realized, and part of what I include in the book as a sort of reflection of my own journey, is the dangers from the theological questioning and the theological reflection. It was helpful to probe and prod and push back against and question some of the prevailing uh, more fundamentalist, hard, conservative stances on creationism, for instance, or the nature of Jesus's death and whether it applies only to a select few or to the broad range of humanity should people receive him as their Lord and Savior. 
we'll get to some of those issues farther along in other chapters. But I wonder right here if you could reflect upon the sort of other outside spiritual influences on your own life. When have you received important guidance and wisdom when it came to your own spiritual development and journey in the same way that Peter did with Prosurgent? Was it a person or a movement like this or perhaps a reflection on the past, something you discovered from history, a Christian thinker or writer or another movement from the past? Maybe a completely different denominational direction. You know, reflecting upon those influences are so crucial to our moments in our walk with Christ and our spiritual journey. And taking time to reflect upon those can help us understand where we're at now and where we've come from. Of course, Peter does that here with Prosurgent, but also as he nears home when he turns on the radio station and turns to a Christian radio station that parrots a lot of the sort of flavors of Christianity that he grew up with. And it makes him frustrated. It makes him regret coming home even. Can you empathize with him and where he has come from, where he is going, and the tension that might create in him, maybe reflected in the tension you yourself have experienced because of your own spiritual past? Of course, chapter three ratchets that tension higher when he returns home and later has a rather uncomfortable dinner with his parents and his younger brother, Johnny, or JJ, in uh, this book. It is a reminder of, again, that faith that he came from and the continued disconnect with his parents, those close to him, with where he's at now in his understanding of his faith and the direction that he's going with that faith. That carries over into chapter four as well. And I think handling both of these chapters together is important because chapter four, he visits the seminary that he is planning to start uh, in a few weeks, Grand River Theological Seminary, which is based on the seminary I went to, Grand Rapids Theological. Very similar feel, sort of like 70s architecture, which is this kind of symbolic reminder of the faith from, you know, decades ago that he's sort of pushing back against. He runs into literally uh, one of his future professors, which actually becomes an important role in his life, which we'll talk about in a minute. Calvin Van Dyke is this guy who Peter literally runs into. And Calvin Van Dyke symbolizes again everything that Peter has tried to sort of leave behind. Uh, Calvin, I chose that name, uh, as sort of a symbol for conservative Christianity, a particular vein of conservative Christianity, Calvinism. And so... Here is Peter. He's home already from the start. There are these reminders of the tension that exists in his life when it comes to his faith and especially others who are close to him and others who will be 
come close to him in his immediate future. And so I wonder about reflecting upon those relationships in your own life. If you have doubted or struggled with faith and religion or Christianity in particular, if you've found yourself sort of reimagining or re-understanding your faith, who are those people like Peter and his parents that have pushed back against your direction or who have misunderstood that direction? What was that like to experience that tension? How did it turn out? How did it resolve itself? Of course, for Peter, it takes a bit uh, for much of that tension to resolve itself and actually begins to kind of explode in various ways, beginning at the dinner table in chapter 3 with this accusation that he's sort of gone liberal or this insinuation that he's gone liberal, which is sort of a slur that is bandied about by some people to shut down a discussion about somebody's spiritual journey. I know I myself experienced that, uh, not necessarily for my parents during the season of my own sort of self-discovery and uh, reimagination and growth in my faith, but uh, from others, um, friends and coworkers from that ministry that I had come from who didn't quite get where I was going. And Peter responds in a very, I think, important way because for him, he was not letting go of what was central to Christianity, but some of the ancillary doctrines and beliefs that were not core Here's what he says. He says, look, it's not like I don't believe Jesus actually rose from the dead. It's not like I even believe in evolution. For my money, I don't see why God would need six billion years to create all this, let alone six days. So, you know, he's sort of pushing back against this notion that you have to believe in a very narrow view of creation uh, on the one hand, while also holding to what the historic Christian faith has always held on to, the resurrection of Jesus, the actual bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus, which I think presents this interesting case study that should remind us to be careful with how we label people who may disagree or differ from our own understanding of our faith. Now, of course, there are central beliefs and crucial beliefs to Christianity in particular, which we will definitely explore farther into this study. And uh, what Peter himself kind of rallies back around. But here and later in chapter four, with sort of these reminders about where he's come from and where he's going, let's sort of step back and remember when it comes to other people's spiritual journeys, to pay close attention, careful attention, before jumping to conclusions. Of course, one of those conclusions that Calvin jumps to is labeling Peter Prosurgent Pete, which is uh, sort of an Easter egg for my own story, because when I was in seminary, I was labeled Emergent Jeremy, which is sort of this running joke with my wife, because when she started dating me, she knew some guys who went to her church, who were leaders of the youth group there, who also attended seminary with me. And they were like, oh my goodness, you're dating Emergent Jeremy, <laughs> which I found 
incredibly funny, uh, but also uh, just interesting to see how I myself was presenting myself at seminary, but also labeled. And Peter doesn't quite like that. He doesn't like being labeled straight out of the gate. Because for him, as he says, rethinking Christianity was the only option Peter saw in light of the changing 21st century world. He wanted a faith that made sense of his world, and he saw only one way to finding that wish fulfilled, deliberately reimagining it. While Peter was glad he got meeting Van Dyke out of the way, early. Now his chest tightened again, knowing that he had been labeled and probably written off. He hoped his first impression didn't doom his academic journey, both the prosurgent reveal and the yogurt spill. So here Peter is uh, discouraged and irritated that he's sort of being written off, because for him, this is the only way he knows how to move forward in his faith, by entering into this conversation with what is central and what isn't to the faith, to sort of, in his words, reimagine it. I wonder about yourself, if you've encountered similar resistance or this attitude of being written off, if you feel similarly that the only way you see to move forward in your faith is to join Peter in asking these sort of tough questions. And if you are asking those questions, what are those How do you see moving forward in your faith for you? Now, it becomes quickly clear as the story moves forward, coming to chapter 5 and then into chapter 6, that Peter isn't the only one who is struggling with the faith that he was given from his childhood. He isn't the only one even reimagining it. Because JT shows up, James Thomas, who I kind of intentionally had his middle name reflective of the sort of infamous doubting Thomas from the Gospels, uh, the Gospel of John, who struggled to embrace the reality of Jesus's resurrection. So that's an obvious nod to what we should expect from this character moving forward. And we discover it straight away. Here is James, JT, who grew up in a very similar context, who is following, in many ways, the same path that his brother, Peter, has been following. And this sets up, uh, from the start, this interesting dynamic that is explored farther in the book, about our own relationship to others and their journey in light of our own. Peter recalls how he had expressed to James, JT, his own sort of reimagining and wrestling, using particular language around that, uh, exactly that reimagining language. And in the conversations in these chapters, particularly five and six, especially six at that uh, Founders pub, brew pub, he reflects that language back. And he has even started reading the same kinds of people, Brian McLaughlin, Dale Pagels, and Peter doesn't quite know what to do with that. And it becomes clear that Peter's own exploration has sort of consequences or implications, rather, for his brother's own spiritual journey. And I wonder 
about those around you in your own Christian walk, how you might be impacting those who are in your own orbit, your own circles, how your own questioning, your own doubting, if that's where you're at, might impact those who are in your own life. Or on the flip side, if you are rock solid in your faith and you are growing in your knowledge of God, how might that impact those around you? Because one of the things that I have found in my own walk, whether as an official pastor or just as a Christian walking through life, is that people notice uh, who you are and how you walk and what you say and what you question and what you push back against, how you do that and go through that questioning and pushing back, all of that has bearing on people's own spiritual journeys. I think this is something to keep in mind and something to even notice as we move through this story to see how Peter's relationship with his brother JT is wrapped up in his own questioning and pushing back and to see that fallout, if you will, in the life of JT. Now, it becomes clear where JT is in his journey on page 47. He's in this argument with his dad about leaving sort of the Christian faith and jumping into a more Eastern religious expression of spirituality. But there's this interesting comment he makes at the end of page 47 in my print version. JT broke the silence. You know, I haven't given up on God. I've given up on religion, your religion, he said, looking up into his father's heart and face. And actually, I haven't given up on Christianity. I'm like lots of other people who are trying to reimagine it, like Petey here. There we go again, some of that impact that Peter's own journey has had on his own brother. But I'd like to take it back to that comment that uh, JT makes about what he has left behind, uh, whether it is actually God or religion or a particular expression of religion and even an expression of Christianity. And I wonder if you identify with him, whether or not you yourself can understand that sort of sentiment where maybe you haven't given up on God or religion, but a particular expression of that religion or even of Christianity. If so, what has that been like for you? And what is it that you are pushing back against and leaving behind? It becomes clearer where JT is at when the two brothers end up at Founders, one of my favorite local Grand Rapids breweries. You may have heard of Founders Brewery, one of the actually named best breweries in uh, America for its uh, Founders IPA and Kentucky Breakfast Stout. Anyway, little Easter egg there from my own hometown in the story. And there the brothers are sharing uh, some pints, and one of those pints is labeled to the unknown god, which is this reference to the idol that uh, the Apostle Paul found in the marketplace in uh, Athens in the book of Acts chapter 17. A reference there that I made intentional because that's where JT is. He's sort of... I guess confused sort of spiritually might be one way to frame it, but he's very uncertain. I think that's a better way to frame it. He's very uncertain, and it becomes clear 
in the conversation of that uncertainty when he says, I don't know, man, just where I'm at, I guess. God seems unknown, foreign. Later, he goes on to say, I don't know where I am or where I stand with God, or even if there is a God. Then there is this moment in which he talks about basically sort of abandoning his Christianity for Buddhism and how he kind of jokes that Buddhism is way less complicated than Christianity. And that brings up these emotions in Peter in which he doesn't quite feel very comfortable with JT's, as he frames it, reneging on his faith. He sort of is okay with him reimagining it, as he himself has, doubting even, questioning, pushing back, uh, but kind of abandoning it, reneging on that faith. Not exactly sure what to think about that. And he begins feeling sort of personally responsible to come alongside him and to guide him in his faith and this journey that he is on. And then encourages them to get together to talk about Brian McLaughlin's and Dale Pagel's new book. That sets the stage for several more conversations in the book. Uh, But right now, I'd like you to think about where you're at again and who you identify with most at this point, whether it's JT or Peter. Are you, like Peter, more reimagining or rediscovering your faith Or have you reneged on it, uh, like JT, sort of abandoned or jettisoned your faith, particularly your Christianity of your past, in favor of a different expression, even religious expression? All right, two chapters left, seven and eight, and I'm not going to review what happens in these chapters because they're pretty explosive, especially chapter seven in the ratcheting of the tension and the relationship between Peter and his family, particularly his parents. But I want you to consider your own relationship within that chapter and your own place in that chapter as either a parent who is sort of looking on as your children have uh, evolved in their faith or uh, journeyed, strayed even in their faith, or as a child who has moved in a different direction or maybe is questioning, pushing back, doubting? Which of those characters do you identify with? And how have you handled that tension in your own life? I think a lot of that tension when it comes to faith often arises between parents and their children. Uh, or within just the family structure more broadly. I know for me, that was definitely a point of tension when I was going through my own sort of crisis and period of questioning. Some of this chapter reflects some of that tension in my own family and the relationship with my parents. Thankfully, we had a great relationship, very similar to the way I think Peter has with his own parents, something that's honest, something that is... uh, not fragile, but is strong enough to handle that conflict and that tension. So I understand where Peter might be coming from, as well as perhaps yourself, if you're in that very similar situation, pushing back, questioning, doubting, journeying. 
But one of the things that I was reminded of uh, from my own past and my own experience, even with my parents and that tension, was some of the attitude that kind of came across that we find here with Peter in in some of the pride and some of the arrogance and some of the know-it-ism, know-it-all-ism, and, and how Maggie, his mother, especially felt that in how he kind of stormed out of the church after not stomaching the way that his Baptist church celebrated the Lord's table. And there's Maggie down by the riverbed, and she's expressing how she feels disrespected and judged by Peter. But then he turns it around and expresses that it's nothing personal. It has nothing to do with her or that church, uh, them, and that faith that they themselves express. Instead, it's his own journey, his own personal relationship with God. But then she turns it back around and says, of course it's personal. You're rejecting our songs and our way of celebrating communion. You're rejecting our church. And so there's this, again, tension between mother and child with the way that both of them are relating to God, relating to the church, and maybe expressing their faith. What do you think we learn from that interaction between Maggie and Peter. Is there anything that you learn from both of these two characters? Again, I was sort of reminded about the delicateness of expressing change in our faith and how there's sort of this fine line between arrogance and honesty, right? It's one thing to be honest about where you are, where you're going. It's another to be arrogant about that direction, in response and in relationship to other people. Of course, Peter walks away from this experience and needs the solace in chapter 8 of his prosurgent friends. And so he goes to these books that helped him in so many ways to sort of reconnect to the faith that he thought no longer connected to his world. Rereading this chapter, I was taken back to 20 years ago when I myself was experiencing a very similar phase in my life, uh, or maybe season more than phase, because it was a genuine period of wrestling and questioning and pushing back and finding myself and finding my faith. And I went to two particular books that were life-giving at the time, I explained that in the author's note in the back and how some of the content for the books that I've titled in this one, A Christian Faith Worth Believing, was inspired by A Christianity Worth Believing by Doug Paget, And of course, Doug Pagels is sort of a homage to that person who had influenced that season of my life, and Brian McLaughlin was inspired by Brian McLaren in his A New Kind of Christianity. Both of those books were influential in my development at that time, and and actually were the catalyst for me rediscovering my faith and rediscovering what Christians had always believed about a number of things. 
But here's Peter. He's going to these books. And one of the themes that comes out, especially farther along, is how important ideas are and the impact that books or podcasts like this one or articles or stories or any number of vessels for alternative ideas or the sort of perpetuation of ongoing ideas, how vital and crucial and impacting they are upon people and upon others in our lives. We see that with Peter and how he was given both permission to believe the things that he started believing, but also found comfort in those books and found comfort in those ideas because they reinforced his own sense of things. And I'm reminded of a quote from one of my systematic theology professors, Mike Whitmer, that I believe actually inspired some of the themes in this book. And he would often say that ideas have consequences. Keep that in mind as we move forward through the story and consider even now sort of the truth of that statement, how you have come to see the consequences of certain ideas within the church, uh, our surrounding culture, and the logical conclusions to some of those ideas. What are those, and what have you noticed? Now, straight away in this book, what we find that Prosurgent and even Peter himself is pushing back against is a particular vein of conservative Christianity called Calvinism. Some of you may be familiar with it. It follows largely the teachings of John Calvin and it, the sort of post-Reformation evolution of his understanding and the reformers' understanding of God's sovereignty and grace and the application of the crucifixion uh, to sinners and the necessity of faith and rebirth and a whole lot of other things that uh, we'll get to as we sort of move along in the story. But one of the things that we find straight away is this pushing back against a view of God that has been handed down from Jonathan Edwards and others from this sort of hyper-Calvinist vein, the the sinners in the hands of an angry God understanding of both God and his character, but also of the Christian faith. One of the things I've discovered as I have pastored and ministered is when people take leave of God, it, it's almost crucial to understand what form of God or version of God or even of the faith itself people have taken leave of. In other words, if people are leaving the Christian faith or even God himself, what is it that they've been presented with? What sort of faith have they been offered? Perhaps consider for yourself what you have observed in others in your own life as they have left the faith or have changed their faith. Or if you are wrestling and struggling yourself, does that uh, sense of things ring true with you? What have you taken leave of, to use that language, 
Or what sort of version have you been handed that has not been comfortable or has turned you off? Again, sort of drives home this uh, notion that ideas have consequences. Of course, the perhaps greatest sort of consequence ideas can have are their impact on people. The greatest stakes are very personal. And Peter realizes that at the end of this chapter, chapter 8. He says, Peter could think of no better person for his brother's journey than his former pastor. He's referring to Brian McLaughlin who we met in the last book, the first book in the series, A Faith Reimagined. Anyway, the story continues, uh, and yet Peter realized the stakes were higher than his own journey now, because Pastor Brian's ideas were affecting his brother's journey. While he was mostly okay with that, Peter did wonder where those ideas might take him. As we close out today's discussion, week one of the Religion and Fiction Book Club, I'd like you to consider two things. One, what ideas have been most impactful for you in your own journey of faith, especially right now? Who are the people, even, who have come alongside you to guide you in your journey of faith? And then on the other side of it, How might you be impacting those around you, both with the ideas you bring to your understanding of God and, if you're a Christian, Jesus and his character and and our life with him? Or who might you invest in, in the same way that Peter begins to invest in his brother? Who might you be able to come alongside to help influence their spiritual journey. As this study continues and the story continues, what we're going to see in the chapters in the weeks ahead is how these two twin influences, ideas and people, are the foundation to that reimagining and rediscovery. So how can we participate in a way that is helpful, life-giving, and truthful to help people understand the love of God and enter into his great story of rescue. All right, week one of a Rediscovered Faith book club. I trust it was encouraging, enlightening, and inspiring. Would love to hear your thoughts and discuss some of those questions So drop a comment or drop me a line. Thanks again for joining the Religion and Fiction podcast on week one of the Religion and Fiction book club, Exploring a Rediscovered Faith. We'll come back at the new year on January 3rd to explore chapters 19 through 16 and Peter Daniel Young's deep questions about faith, life, and everything in between. In the meantime, Merry Christmas. Enjoy celebrating Christ's birth. Grace and peace to you, and happy reading.